The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Do you have sex with your eyes open or closed, lights on or off? I'll share some research with you about that, as well as how many sexual partners do you think the average person will have in their lifetime? Maybe you'll see where you rank with this. And we'll have a couple of Valentine's Day stories, like uh, if you want uh, to uh, piss off your ex, you can name a cockroach after it, (laughs) apparently, in the UK, Uh, and other fun stories to share with you. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. I like to begin uh, every show with answering some of your concerns. Uh, so why don't I do that right now? You can always email your concerns, your questions, your comments to Lori at drlaurie.com or just go through uh, my website, drlaurie.com or text me in right here, right now. And I'm happy to answer them throughout the show as well, even uh, between the stories that I'm I'm sharing. All right, uh, this by email. How to give my girlfriend a pleasurable first time considering that even if she puts one finger a little bit inside of her vagina while masturbating, it hurts her. Trying to imagine how she would react to my penis entering her vagina. Uh, good question and uh, a good tip. I guess it's a typical concern uh, for a young person exploring uh, sexuality. So it, it is true. You're right that uh, first intercourse uh, could be painful. Um, and to make it the least painful possible, your partner should be as relaxed as possible and as aroused as possible and very well lubricated, which I would highly recommend uh, using external lubrication. So it's probably a good idea for her to practice with lube on her finger or lube on your finger so that she learns to relax her vagina because she may feel that she tenses up and you may feel, and by you trying to insert your finger, you're going to feel the tension as well. And then getting her to um, basically do Kegel exercises, like tense the muscle, release the muscle, tense the muscle, release the muscle. So she knows what it feels like to actually release that muscle. Because what ends up happening is when, um, especially when a woman anticipates pain, they end up tensing and clenching their pelvic floor. And that makes penetration painful and sometimes just virtually impossible. Uh, If she's somebody who is experiencing pain or is fearful of what's happening or what may happen, she could do a couple of things. A, see a therapist to deal with her anxieties related to this, as this may be something, or see a pelvic floor physiotherapist that can help her understand her vagina and how the opening works. And because they work directly uh, with uh, the woman and like directly in the vagina and help her stretch it out and feel more comfortable uh, receiving uh, any kind of entry. So that's something. 
related to this. Uh, I'm a woman. I'm 18 years old. I have a boyfriend, and I'm with him for the last four years. We have tried to have sex, but I can't. It hurts so much. I feel like trash because I can't have sex or that uh, I can't have him penetrate me. I heard it's vaginismus, and I don't know how to break that. What can I do for penetration? Please help. I want to have sex and come through. Um, so this is similar to what I was saying. So vaginismus is the condition that could eventually develop when there's fear, anxieties, tension, um, and when you, what ends up happening is that at first you may contract your vagina out of fear and you know you're contracting it, but over time, uh, vaginismus becomes an, it really signifies an in, involuntary contraction of the vagina. You don't even recognize that you're doing it. And that makes intercourse virtually impossible. It even makes uh, inserting a tampon or having a vaginal exam virtually impossible. But the underlying cause is usually uh, either fear of pain, like extreme fear of pain and anxiety, or somebody who's experienced some form of trauma or some experience of painful sex. Sometimes the fear comes from messages that we've received uh, in childhood even or hearing around uh, uh, that creates this fear of pain or just simply fear of penetration. So it, it's not a physical condition. Even though it manifests as a physical condition, it, it's not due to anything physical. It really is... Uh, a psychological one that just simply has physical consequences. Now, true that people who have had, let's say, painful experiences, the the result, the uh, cause might be dyspareunia. So, the in other words, painful intercourse might have then triggered this response to clench and shut out any kind of, uh, of penetration. So it could have started from real physical pain, which will lead to this psychological condition called vaginismus. So in order to, and it's it very curable, it takes time, but it takes the combination of psychological work or working with a sex therapist or getting past the fears and understanding that, understanding how your body works along with also a pelvic floor physiotherapy. When those two things are combined, we have the, uh, the best conditions, the, the best outcome. So you, what you do with a pelvic floor physio or what you could do on your own too. And when I work uh, with uh, clients with this is to start practicing penetration first with very small inserts like a tampon, or I say first a baby finger, then the other, the, a thicker finger. But you have to do it when your body is fully relaxed. I also get women to take a good look at their genitals with a mirror and to, to see, um, you can actually see the muscles clenching when you clench and unclench, clench and unclench. So uh, practicing to relax your body at the same time, which means these Kegel exercises, which are contractions of the pelvic floor, if you don't know what they are, what it is is uh, imagine yourself uh, urinating and then imagine uh, what you would do to hold back the flow of that urine midstream. That's the 
muscle that you contract. Now, I don't suggest you do this every time you urinate. It's not healthy. You need to flush out your system. But it's just to show you where that muscle is. So you can practice that a lot anywhere you are. Nobody knows that you're doing this. Um, And this gives you a bit more of a sense of control over uh, your vaginal muscles. So there are things to do about this. You just have to find uh, the proper help, the the right help for you. It's a condition that's, believe it or not, rather common. And um, I end up seeing uh, clients sometimes who have suffered with this for years, yet maintain very active sex lives. They find ways around it. So um, I remember having a, a couple that came to see me for 10 years. They have not been able to have intercourse because of vaginismus, but they engaged in every other kind of sexuality, including anal sex which is interesting because it's the same muscle. So sometimes education is really required uh, to understand how one's body uh, one's body works. And often they end up in my office because they want to have children and they want to conceive, and so they need to, to have intercourse. So it's not that they're not sexual. It's just that that kind of sex creates a lot of pain. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about, uh, well, I'll ask you the question, do you have sex with your eyes open or closed? Which do you prefer lights on or off and why your relationships on the line connect with dr Lori now 514-790-0800 passion news talk radio cjad 800 so do you have sex with your eyes open or closed are you aware of uh, whether you keep your eyes open or closed which makes you more uh comfortable. Do you think the look of sex is different from the look of love? Um, and if you don't keep your eyes open, why do people dress up their bedrooms with, uh, ceiling mirrors? I don't know how many people have ceiling mirrors, but you know, some people do. Uh, or why do so many people prefer having sex with the light off and blindfold sex? Lots of people enjoy that. And that's exciting. So do you have sex with your eyes open or closed? There's uh, some studies done about this, which I think is very interesting in terms of uh, romantic communication. There was a a study done in 2014 that looked at this, uh, which suggested that mutual eye gaze is one of the most reliable markers of love between couples and can be used to differentiate love from lust. Thus, love compared to lust elicited relatively longer and more frequent eye fixations to the face than to the body. What do you think about that? How essential is that eye contact? Do you close your eyes? Do you keep them open? Uh, But closing one's eyes during sex is still rather common. And um, it's expressed by all the other habits we have, like having sex with the lights off or being excited by, uh, by blindfold sex. So do you have sex with the lights on or off? Is that the same as keeping your eyes open or closed? So when the lights are off, it's almost like the two of you are both, you, both of your eyes are closed, basically, right? Uh, research suggests that having sex with the lights on can lead to better intercourse. Apparently, exposure to light helps boost uh, men's level of testosterone and increases sexual satisfaction. This is according to uh, research done in 2016. 
But in a survey of singles, those in relationships and married people, uh, only singles preferred having sex in unclouded spaces. 54% of them prefer the light on, while 46% preferred the light off. Uh, The ratio among those in relationships was 49% on and 51% off. And for married people, 43% the lights on and 57% the lights off. Lights on or off? Let's do our own little poll. I'd love to hear from you. Lights on or off? And what about um, what about people who blindfold? Like there's an excitement to using blindfolds. This is a, basically a very uh, tame, kind of tame BDSM activity, if you will, right? Um So there was an article in Glamour that looked at six reasons for the appeal of of blindfold sex. Obviously not science, just some suggestions here. Uh, Blindfold sex spices things up. Not being able to see can reduce inhibitions. Shutting down one sense intensifies others. These are all very valid, very true. Uh, Being blindfolded increases trust between partners. Blindfold sex adds an element of surprise, and blindfolding your partner puts you in control, which might make it more um, arousing. But let's be real. There is a lot of uh, people who are not comfortable having the lights on because of shyness, because of embarrassment, because of body image issues. Uh, those are issues that should be dealt with. And I think it would be nice if people could have sex with the lights on to enjoy the full experience of their partner. Of course, if if you don't necessarily care about your partner, like in a casual sex experience, um, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe lights off is the way to go. I don't know. I want to know from you if you have any thoughts on lights on or off, eyes open or closed. So this Valentine's Day, apparently you can name a cockroach after your ex for about two bucks. That's it. It's a conservation center in the UK uh, that uh, gives you this opportunity. Uh, It's the perfect gift, they say, for Valentine's Day that you can give yourself. Uh, so all you need to do, (laughs) it's a bit of, it's kind of weird and it's a little cruel, but you just, you name a cockroach after your ex. I don't know if it's going to make you feel better or not, um, but cockroaches survive a lot. Aren't they known to like survive nuclear explosions? Like they're the, isn't like if the end of the world happens, don't they say that cockroaches will be the only thing that lives? Is that really what, what you want? Um, I don't know. But one thing for sure, they're disgusting. Um, cockroaches, they creep me out. I don't know if they creep you out, but they, and if you look at, if you go see the cockroaches, like in, in, um, the Caribbean or in Florida, those are, they're giant. They're, they're giant. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about cockroaches, but now the, the thought of them really icky. So putting that thought with the X that you may not like, I suppose, could give you a bit of a thrill. I don't know, but it's only two bucks. All you have to do is fill out an application. You donate your $2. It's done. They select a cockroach for you, name it for you, and then they give you a a little uh, certificate, which includes a picture of the cockroach and the name you've given it. So there you go. Um, 
A texter writes in in terms of eyes open or closed. Breast movements is a turn on, so eyes open. Right, you want to see uh, your partner's, the parts of your partner's body that, that may particularly turn you on. So if your eyes are closed, you actually uh, don't get to see that part, right? Another little Valentine's Day uh, tidbit. Do you remember those sweetheart candy hearts? You know, they, they were all hearts. They all had like sayings on them. Apparently, uh, they're not available for the first time in 153 years. I had no idea that the first candy heart, sweetheart candy debut, made its debut in 1866. I love those things. I used to buy them. I mean, they taste awful, but, but they were cute and they had all these, uh, wonderful, uh, little, uh, sayings on it. So the company is the new England confectionery company will not be selling it. It closed its doors and the sweethearts brand was sold to another company, um, called the Spangler Candy Company, uh, but uh, they haven't had enough time to produce uh, their uh, all their candy hearts. It, it's, uh, it typically takes about 11 months to produce 8 billion candy hearts, and there wasn't enough lead time for the new company to create the hearts and sell for this season. But they say the hearts will be available in 2020, so... You'll be able to buy them then. Those are, uh, yeah. The, oh, my. So texter writes, off with my wife, on with my girlfriend. Nice. I hope your wife's listening. I feel like giving out your number. Um, just kidding. I won't. It's always, you know, uh, anonymous here. Okay. The best time to have sex. So we talked about lights on or off, eyes open or closed, what about the best time to have sex? What is the, the best time in, in the, the schedule for you? Is it at the busiest time of day, at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day? So according to a study published in Frontiers in Psychology, the time when men and women have raging libidos differs drastically. Now that's a problem. Women have a higher sex drive during the evening, while men feel more sexually activated in the morning. The data shows that more women are getting their way with desire because most couples have sex between 9 p.m. to uh, to bedtime, basically, or closer to bedtime. However, experts are of the opinion that sex before sleep is not ideal, which sounds counterintuitive. Um Dr. Michael Bruce, who's called the sleep doctor, uh, says, no, it's not so great. He says that most couples may not have the best sex at nighttime because their body is tired and beginning to shut down. But according to this article, sex therapists disagree. I, I feel the same way. That sex before bedtime could be a great sleep inducer unless, and, and it's a great way to de-stress, but some people get energized from sex, and I hear this more from women who, once they get in, they engage and they get, it, it, it doesn't put them to sleep; it re-energizes them. Whereas I hear from men that it just puts them to sleep. So I don't know if there's a gender difference in that. I'm just telling you what uh, what I hear. Uh, he, uh, this doctor recommends having morning sex because after a good sleep, 
Both the partners wake up with revived energy. Their hormones are at their peak, which can lead to better sex. It may uh, feel more rejuvenating and pumps up the person to face the day ahead. So I'm asking the guys who end up falling asleep right after sex, how does it work for you in, uh, in the morning? I'm just wondering. Hmm. So... I don't know what's what's a what's a good schedule. Imagine if our libidos are completely at different schedules. We have to find some compromise somewhere. A couple of texters here. Uh, lights on, eyes open. My hubby's a hottie, and we're still crazy about each other. Oh, I love to hear that. That's great. Uh, lights on, eyes open. Uh, I would argue that engaging in physical intimacy within an illuminated ambiance would emphasize the more virtual aspects pertaining to the experience, whereas a darker ambiance would allow one to focus more so upon feelings and sensation instead. You're absolutely right. Consequently, a dim light incandescent ambience, such as red, pink, amber, or candlelight, would be ideal in bridging the best of both worlds. Wow, you look like you've done your work on this. Love it. Yes, so well said. Uh, LOL, men do all the work, <laughs> they say, which is why they fall asleep. Uh-uh. Uh, morning is great and better than night. So best time to have sex, eyes open or closed. Lots for you to uh, talk about uh, coming up in our next uh, in our next half hour. Uh, so coming up and talk about single life. Apparently it gets even better with age, huh? We'll talk about that after we check in with our newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. So new research shows that single life, guess what, gets better with age. Yep, over time, historically, single life gets better and better. And for individuals, as they age, satisfaction with their single lives gets even better too. Uh, so maybe having a romantic partner was once relevant to feelings of loneliness, but apparently not so relevant anymore as you age. There was a recent study done, published uh, in the uh, Journal of Gerontology, what they did was they uh, focused on people um, between the ages of 40 and 85. Uh, there was like close to over 2,500 of these people. And then they kept re-interviewing them. And they interviewed them six years later. Like they took different cohorts and interviewed them in 1996, 2002, 2008, 2014. So they were able to do a nice longitudinal study. So this is a really... This is a well-done study with a large uh, sample, so I um, this is something that is very valid. Uh, so the four clearest findings showed how satisfaction with single life increased over time with age and how partnership status became less relevant to loneliness over time and with age. So what they found is over the course of their adult lives and over time historically, single people become more satisfied with their lives. Over time, single people have become more satisfied with their lives. So they did a time thing between 1996 and 2014. Over the course of their adult lives and over time historically, whether people have a romantic partner becomes actually less relevant to how lonely 
they feel. So these are some of the highlights I'm sharing with you. Those who have never been married often report low levels of loneliness. Uh, For example, in a study of uh, people 65 and older, it was the widowed people who were the loneliness. Of those who had never been married, 46% said they were never lonely. Only 9% said they were often or always lonely. People with romantic partners uh, were less lonely than people without romantic partners, yes, but as people grew older, any differences in loneliness between people with and without romantic partners decreased. So they kind of joined up. So as people age, whether or not they have a romantic partner becomes less relevant to how lonely they feel. But why has single life gotten better over the course of individual lives and over time? There's no answer for that. They did not test for any explanations for why single people may became more satisfied with their lives as they grow older. Of course, we can hypothesize all kinds of things. And why are today's single people more satisfied with their lives than single people were a few decades ago? Is it the change in... um, the change in the way we view sexuality? Is it the change in, in, in how we view marriage or the importance of marriage these days? So there could be all kinds of, uh, of hypotheses. And if you're single and older, do you agree with this? Has single life gotten even better with age and, um, not so lonely? less lonely as you got older. This is an adaptation factor too, I suppose, to that. It's developing a life for yourself and different things like that. So how many sexual partners do you think the average person will have in their lifetime? A new survey has revealed that the average number of sexual partners uh, will have Uh, Of course, one of the most personal questions you can ask, right? It's that old question. How many people have you slept with? How many times have you ever asked a partner that? So this survey revealed the average number of sexual partners uh, that a partner uh, will have after surveying 2,000 people around the UK revealed that 25% of people have had sex with two to four people in their lifetime. Uh, surprisingly, 14% of respondents said they've only had sex with one person over the course of their life. Uh, 2% were racking up over 90 partners in their lifetime. And 4% said they don't know how many people they've had uh, sex with. Delving deeper into the results, the survey revealed that Londoners have the highest number of sexual partners with 5%, counting more than 91 partners in uh, in their lifetime. Uh, so there you have it. 25% of people, two to four, 14%, only one. I don't know how different it would be North America. I, I don't think there would be major differences between here and there, but never know. Uh, this article, I thought, this is interesting. Why having sex with your ex could be a good thing? Another research uh, looking into this. So Um, This is a new study by researchers from Wayne State University uh, suggest that uh, going, jumping back into bed with an ex may actually not lead to more heartache. Uh, It's hard to believe, but this is what they found. Uh, So they found that having sex with your ex does not hinder moving on after 
the breakup and they conclude it may in fact be a good thing. So to reach this conclusion, the researchers carried out uh, two studies or two-in-one studies. Uh, the team analyzed the daily experiences of participants who had recently been through a breakup and then those participants, there's 113 of them, were surveyed on whether they had had any physical contact with former partners, how emotionally attached they still were, and how they felt after each, uh, each day and each time. In the second study, there were close to 400 participants who reported their actual and attempted sexual engagement with their ex, as well as whether they were still emotionally tied to them. So there were two, two separate things, looking at more or less the same thing. The results revealed that pursuing sex with an ex didn't seem to stand in the way of people's recovery from a breakup, although I have no idea how they measured recovery uh, and, and any of the consequences of breakups. Uh, but uh, Stephanie Spielman, who led the study, said this research suggests that societal hand-wringing regarding trying to have sex with an ex may not be warranted. The fact that sex with an ex is found to be most eagerly pursued by those having difficulty moving on suggests that we should perhaps instead more critically evaluate people's motivations behind pursuing sex with an ex. I guess it's um, confronting that assumption that if you have sex with your ex, it's because you can't let go somehow, or you, you just, you, you're still attached to them. And so it's a way of trying to get them back, but apparently, uh, not so. Do you have, uh, any tattoos? I've got two of my own. I don't know if you have any, but apparently having tattoos affects your uh, sex life, according to these scientists. I haven't noticed any effect on mine, but nonetheless, I also got mine in my 50s. <laughs> A survey by researchers from the University of Miami has revealed that people with tattoos are more likely to take risks, and this has an effect on their sex life. But tattoos are so much more popular today. It's like, talk to younger people today, the younger generation, and it's no big deal. Way back when, when let's say when I was a teenager, it was a big deal. It was only like bad people got tattoos. Like there was stigma attached to uh, to people who were tattooed or you, you made assumptions about them, like they're in a gang or, or something. There was something about it. Not today. It's completely different today. Uh, however, apparently at the University of Miami, they found that people with tattoos are more likely to have a higher number of sex partners in the past year. So they, um, they researched, they surveyed over 2000 adults, some of whom had tattoos and some who, uh, did not. I don't have the ages though of the people here, so I can't tell you that. Uh, the survey revealed that people with tattoos were more likely to be smokers, to have spent time in prison, and to have had a higher number of sexual partners. I'm thinking they must have interviewed a lot of older people in this from a generation where tattoos may not have been so popular. I don't know. I, I don't ha I wish I had more information on this one, but, uh, this is why you take everything with a bit of a grain of salt. Cause this is only what's reported. Uh, apparently these individuals were also more likely to be diagnosed with mental health issues and to report, uh, sleep issues. Previous research they say has established an association between having a tattoo and engaging 
in uh, risky behaviors in an era of increasing popularity. Um, even among women and working professionals, we find these relationships persist, but are not associated with lower health status. So I guess even today's generation, it doesn't do anything to their mental health, um, but they maybe engage in risky behavior. So it's true, maybe people who are brave enough or um, take the risk of, of having a tattoo, which is a, you know, it's a pretty, uh, it's, a, it's a permanent thing on your body, I suppose, might be bigger risk takers in, uh, in general. Uh, coming up, I want to talk about uh, female Viagra. It's not really Viagra, but let's say Philbanserin, the female drug to increase desire, now available in an Arab country. I want to share what the response has been there for this. And any thoughts that you have, please share with us at 514-800. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. So someone asks me, I'd be curious to know which tattoos you have, where and at what age and why you got them at. If it's not too personal and you don't mind sharing. No, I I don't mind sharing this. They're visible to people who meet me, so it's perfectly okay. I got, for many years, I toyed with the idea of getting a tattoo, but nothing that ever was significant enough for me. And I figured when I was uh, 52, I got my first one on my foot and um, something I could hide if I wanted to, uh, but I figured at that age, I've n- no more, it's not a time to have any kind of regrets. Like when you're younger, you could regret, but at 52, I figured I wouldn't get something I would regret. So I did get an orchid, um, an orchid which signifies uh, uh, passion. It symbolizes passion and many other um, qualities or that I identify with and my show and all of that. And it has my kids and my husband's initials in the stems as well. And just recently, it closed, I'm almost 55, I got on my wrist the tree of life, which also represents strength, which is basically what I try to focus on in my work with people is identifying people's strengths and always looking at the root of things. And so that's what it's all related to. So they have meaning for me, maybe not for anybody else, and I don't care. They were really uh, for me, and that's why I had them done. So uh, a little bit of self-disclosure there. All right, let me talk about this Arab country turning to female uh, Viagra. Egypt becomes the first Arab country to authorize the production and sale of a drug uh, to boost a female libido. This we You've heard me talk about uh, Philbanserin, Addy, that was the name once the uh, it was sold from one pharmaceutical company to another pharmaceutical. It was a bit of a bust in North America. Didn't sell very well. Lots of side effects. Cost a lot of money. And the effectiveness was really, uh, if you look at the studies that were done, it increased women's sexual experiences by 0.7. Not even a full sexual experience. Uh, I think it... 0.7 a month. Is it worth it to take a pill every day? That's very, that's costly. That causes side effects to have, like, it just didn't make any sense. And I never understood it because sex is, is so much in the brain. Like how does a pill change how you feel about a partner or how does it take away anger or resentment? Does it, does it do anything to the circumstances? Does it take away your fatigue? Does it take away your worries? Does it take away everything else that seems to impact uh, women's sexuality? The answer is no, it doesn't. But anyhow, 
that's my little rant on that. Uh, divorce rates are on the rise in Egypt, and some uh, reports there have attributed it to persistent sexual problems between couples. But think about this for a minute. So the, the manufacturer of Philbanserin there says three out of every 10 women in Egypt have a low sex drive. Uh, but they say these figures are just rough estimates. Obviously, these statistics harder to come by in a country um, that is more restrictive. Uh, they say, the representative of the company says, this treatment is very much needed here. It's a revolution. Yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, they say the drug is safe and effective and any dizziness and drowsiness will disappear over time. But many pharmacists and doctors disagree. Uh, one pharmacist uh, warned that the drug could lower blood pressure to alarming levels and might be problematic for people with heart and liver uh, problems. Um, says uh, the same pharmacist in Cairo says he always explains the side effects to customers, but they still insist on buying it. He says about 10 people a day come in to buy the drug. There you don't actually need a prescription uh, to buy these kinds of drugs. You can just pick them up at your local pharmacy. Uh, but the people who are buying the drugs, guess what? The men are buying them for the women. Women, he says, are too shy to ask for it. I don't know if they're too shy or if the men heard about the existence of the drug and are taking it home hoping that this is going to do something for uh, their wives. Now, they call it in, in all the news media the female Viagra. The fe it's not a female Viagra. Viagra works by, in, uh, by uh, um, improving blood flow to the penis. Uh, this pill has, does nothing, nothing to increase blood flow. It does something more like an antidepressant. It was developed, in fact, as an antidepressant, uh, and it balances somehow the chemicals in, uh, in the brain. But it's, so that's a completely uh, misleading term. But you tell me if this would work with a woman who suffers any kind of physical, psychological, or relationship problems. I, I can't see that. Sex is an emotional process. Sex starts in the mind of women. Can a woman have a, uh, a healthy, intimate relationship with, say, a husband who mistreats her? Do you think a medication will help this? The answer is absolutely no, no. And is it worth the risk? Uh, so there's a sex therapist out of in Egypt as well who says um, philbanserin's efficacy is very small and not worth the risk. Uh, because there are some serious side effects. Uh, she says, Egyptian women still have a long way to go before they feel comfortable speaking up about their sexual needs. Uh, and one person says, she knows a lot of women who filed for divorce after their sexual relationship had soured as a result of the accumulative tension in their marriage. So it's not because the sex, because of the sex, it's the tension in the marriage that caused the sex to go down. One person said, if your husband is sexually weak, you will support him and help him seek treatment as long as he is a loving life partner. But if you have an abusive husband, you will definitely lose all interest in him, even if he is good in bed. Men don't seem to understand this. So, and then the, the sex therapist is concerned about the potential repercussions on marriages. She says, when a man notices no improvement in his wife's sex drive, even though she has been taking the pills, he will blame her and not the ineffective drug or their tense relationship. He might even find this as an excuse to dump her. So, uh, I don't think it's the, uh, the best idea. And just one last thing I, I want to share with you. 
which I thought was uh, a little bit karma kind of thing. Uh, this The headline was, Prominent Anti-Gay Conversion Therapist Revealed That He Is, In Fact, Gay. Uh, David Matheson has spent much of his life, his professional life, working to uh, cure people of their homosexuality. Well, apparently not. In a Facebook post dated uh, January 21st, Matheson acknowledged that he's a gay man. He explained that the realization struck him about a year ago, right around the same time he and his now former wife divorced. He says, toward the end of this decline in my marriage, I also realized that being in an intimate relationship with, with a man was no longer something I wanted to avoid. It had become a non-negotiable need. Remember, this is the guy who was in the news and who was doing all kinds of uh, conversion uh, therapy uh, for uh, for gay uh, for gay men. Um, he didn't even apologize on his Facebook. This is all on Facebook. Like he actually posted all of this on Facebook. He said, "I used to be." Uh, caught in an ideological prison of my own. I know my work helped many, many people because they told me so, but I'm sure I've hurt some people too. Not that I would excuse myself, but any shortcomings I had as a therapist came from too narrow a view of what emotionally healthy can look like. They came from my own homophobia and narrow-mindedness. I'm truly sorry for those flaws and the harm they have surely caused some people. And I'm sorry for the confusion and pain my choice may be causing others. He posted that after he was absolutely called out, uh, called out on this, even though he still continues to defend, by the way, his work, which he did, which I have to add is completely denounced by the American Medical Association and the American Psychiatric Association. That is like... This is even illegal uh, in in places. So uh, I just thought it was interesting to share that this conversion therapist is actually gay. But you're probably not all that surprised. Sometimes those who protest the most, right, uh, are uh, and, and those who are the most homophobic. Well, sometimes you don't know. There might be something else going on. Uh, that's it for us here tonight. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. Always appreciate uh, your listenership. I really do. Uh, thank you to our technical producer, Dave Simon. If you want to connect with me on social media, at Dr. Lori Batito, last name B-E-T-I-T-O, or you can just find me on my website, send me emails, questions, whatever you need, uh, www.drlaurie.com. Coming up next here on CJD, you've got the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, a wonderful weekend, and remember to live your life with passion.